wants to hear the Word of God this morning? Yeah. All right. Um, before we start, if you missed last week, we talked about the Trinity. We talked about the most mysterious, profound, transcendent, holy thing we could ever talk about, and that's the Triune God. Uh, in the, at the Council of Nicaea in 325, uh, the bishops from across the Roman world and the Western Church got together and they concluded from Scripture that God is three persons and one essence. And that's how we're to understand these profound truths that we read in John. And um, there could not be a Pentecost without Christmas. There could not be a sending of the Spirit unless the Son was sent. And so the Son is the Father's Son, and the Spirit is the Son's Spirit. And I was thinking about the Trinity um, this weekend with my children, because <laughs> I have this, like, in my mind's eye, I have this rose-colored vision of what my children are going to turn out like after I disciple them in God's Word, and by the, you know, the age of 10, they'll memorize Romans, and then, then on, and then on, and then on. And it uh, doesn't work out like that. Um, of course, they're not three yet. But, you know, does anybody else do this? Like, where, you know, you've had a long day, you get home late, you know, we were at a banquet this weekend, and I, I, we got home, you know, and they, they're tired, and maybe not as tired as I would want them to have been, but they were... Um, you know, Kelly, Kelly looks at me and she goes, are we going to do Bible night? And I was like, no, I'll put them to bed. We're not going to do Bible night. Of course, I'm walking out of the room going, I suck as a Christian today. Um, and then when you get Bible time, I, we're reading Joseph this week. And, you know, I'm reading, I'm tell, you know, we're reading about Joseph and, uh, you know, he was sold into slavery and he interpreted dreams and, and so we're you know, flipping around, and I'm going, hey, that's Joseph, Roman. That's Roman. Hey, that's a chicken. <laughs> I, know, I know that's a chicken. And then Noah, you'll, you know, they two by two. They, is that an alligator? Yes, that, yes, that's an alligator, son. But is that a hippo? And God has reminded me that discipling your kids, discipling anyone comes slowly. But... We were outside of Target this week, and Kelly, before she went in, she, it was something real quick, and so I was just going to do what I do a lot, which is sit out in the, the car with the kids. And she goes, hey, I got a new song I'm going to put in real quick for them uh, while I'm in. Just, just test it out. I was like, okay, sure. And um, it's scripture to, to music. Have you all ever heard, listened to this stuff? It's just like, it's, it's kiddish, but they just, they rock out to Bible verses. And in a matter of minutes, my kids are like singing along to Romans. And I'm like, this, this song has done more in three minutes than I've gotten my kids to do in months reading the Bible to them. And I just, I thought, well, first of all, it made me look at how legalistic my heart is. You know, because I had a set thing. We're going to read the Bible, you know. And I'm thinking, my job isn't just to check off tasks with my children. My job is to make sure that by the Word and by the Spirit, God's Word is implanted on their hearts somehow. And the wisdom of God comes in Christmas. The Spirit of God comes in Pentecost. 
One way or another, I'm not sure what my children's future holds, but I know two things. If they are to know the risen Jesus, it will be by God's Word and it will be by God's Spirit. And because of that, I have to pray that. And so in that moment when I heard my kids singing to psalms, I just prayed quietly, God, by your word and by your power, keep these children, grow these children so that they know your son, Jesus, by God, the Holy Spirit. And we should pray that all the time. And here they are, something my wife kicked in. So she comes back out of, out of Target and we're all singing. She's like, you like the song? I was like, well, heck yeah, how can you not like it? It's like the Bible to music. I encourage you, if you have kids, um, I don't know where, the, where she finds these things, but um, I enjoyed it. If you'll turn to John chapter 14, verses 15 through 31. John chapter 14, verses 15 through 31. And when you find it, if you'll stand for the reading of God's Word. And the Holy Spirit says through John, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is Jesus speaking. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. I love that. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Let's pray. Father, the world had no claim on Jesus. The enemy had no claim on Jesus The Son is in you, and you are in the Son, and therefore, if we are in Jesus, we are in you. And Father, as Paul says in Romans 8, neither life nor death nor 
anything imaginable can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ if we would but believe in the gospel. Father, show us this morning who the Spirit is and what He has come to do so that we may better understand the work of Christ and that He may bring remembrance of Jesus' teachings to our minds. Father, by the same Spirit that authored these scriptures, open our minds and our hearts this morning to further understand the unconditional love of Jesus. And all these things we ask in your Son's name. Amen. So I'm going to boil this message down to one summary statement, or two statements. If you want to go ahead and show it, Chris. Chris is Johnny on the spot with these things. There it is. This is what I'm going to try to say this morning. This is what I feel is what we could glean uh, from this passage. The Spirit helps us by giving us the power to remember and obey Christ's commands, and the Spirit comforts us by reminding us of the promises of God in Christ Jesus. The Spirit helps us by giving us the power to remember and obey Christ's commands, and the Spirit comforts us by reminding us of the promises of God in Christ Jesus. I want to start out with this. We are saved by faith alone in Christ. I'm going to say it one more time. We are saved by faith alone in Christ Jesus. We all know this. We preach it every single week. We're not saved by our works. We're not saved by our good deeds. We're not saved even by our obedience. We're saved only by faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, committing our souls, trusting our eternity upon the work of Jesus Christ. But people can misconstrue that. Even something as basic as that, we can warp. We can do a lot of different evil things with that. We can turn that faith into a work. People do it all the time. I've even seen people um, separate faith in Jesus from love for Jesus. That's a dangerous tendency that I see often in the church. But the Bible never creates that division between faith in Jesus and love for Jesus. In fact, Scripture says faith in Jesus is love for Jesus. One of the ways you can detect that in someone, one of the ways you can hear it if someone has separated faith in Christ and love for Christ is you'll hear people say things like this. We well, don't have to be baptized to be saved. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You don't have to read the Bible all the time to know Jesus. You don't have to blank to be saved. Raise your hand if you ever heard anybody say that. And what the Lord Jesus has to say to this generation is precisely what the Lord Jesus had to say to the disciples, and which is, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Yes, we're saved by faith alone, but our faith in Jesus is a deep, abiding love for Jesus that seeks to please Him before anyone else. The gospel demands our obedience because Jesus demands our complete surrender and love. I go back to my kids for a second. I am Roman and Ruby's father. Last night I looked behind the tree, I heard the, the tree ruffling. I couldn't tell he was back there. 
So I kept going. Heard it ruffling again, and Roman was behind the tree, and I walked around, and the kid was like munching on a golden ornament. My wife's not here today. Uh, They're sick. I don't know if it's because they got a flu or Romans ate an ornament. I don't know. There's nothing Roman can do that can stop me from loving him. There's nothing he could do to disqualify himself from me being his father, but that doesn't stop me from confronting Roman when he disobeys me, because I'm going to tell you, I told him 30 times not to touch that tree. And what I do is I don't sit him down and go, it's okay, I'll still be your dad, you can do whatever you want. That's not what I say. That's how people like to treat God. What do I do? I say, hey, do you love daddy? Mm-hmm. Then obey me. There are countless professing Christians who need to be sat down with the Word as we're doing this morning, and they need to come face to face with this reality. If you love Jesus, you will obey Jesus. Christians don't seek obedience for salvation. We seek obedience from salvation. Fraudulent Christianity, nominal Christianity, American Christianity, when faced with this truth, they try to wiggle out of it and they go, well, you know, nobody's perfect. I mean, you can't argue with that. Yeah, it's true. Nobody is perfect, and we need to remind ourselves of that, but that's precisely why God the Father sent two persons. He sends the Son to overcome the penalty of sin, and He, over- he sends the Spirit to overcome the power of sin. I'm going to say that one more time in case you missed it. God the Father sent His Son to overcome the penalty of sin. And God the Son sends His Spirit to overcome the power of sin. False, fraudulent Christians want Jesus without the Spirit. Because we're not perfect, because we're sinners, Jesus did not leave us to ourselves. Look at this, verses 15 through 17. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him. For He dwells with you and will be in you. If you've ever heard of the Spirit called the paraclete, that's where we get this from. It's actually mentioned a couple times, several times in the Bible. The Greek word that John uses here in verse 16, parakleton, that means helper, encourager, advocate, mediator, comforter. The Spirit's job is to help us to be obedient And to live lives pleasing to God. So when God asks us to obey Him, He gives us the power to obey Him. Obedience doesn't earn salvation. Obedience springs from salvation. We have no good works apart from the Spirit of God. That means, in some sense, the very first pleasing thing I ever did was believe in Jesus. The very first thing that I did that God could look down upon and go, well done, was when I cast my soul upon Him and said, save me. If you've never done that, 
Ask and you will receive. Because until that moment, your works are filthy rags. But Scripture says, without faith, we cannot please God. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I met a guy at seminary um, a couple years ago. (laughs) He said... uh, Somebody made a comment or something about, well, you know, God's grace, man. Just thank God for God's grace. And somebody, some guy goes, yeah, thanks, thank God he looked down the corridor of time and saw that I would obey. And I'm like, what in the world would that? Like scriptural gymnastics you just did there. I don't know where you got that from. Well, I said, this is what I said. I said, if God looked down the corridor of time, what he would have seen was a disobedient obby is what he would have seen. What God actually did was to see that all have fallen short of the glory of God. All are desperately wicked. And what He chose to do was to gather a chosen remnant and to instill His Spirit inside of them and said, I will cause you to obey My commands. So the next time somebody gives you the whole, well, I don't have to do that to be a Christian. Or they give you the whole, well, nobody's perfect anyway. You can just tell them, God gave us Jesus to atone for our sin and He gave you His Spirit so that that sin would have no dominion over you. There are several words that we use for what happens in the human soul, in the human heart, when, when the Spirit of God gets a hold of us. There are several words that we could use. Rebirth, new birth, born again, new life, New creation, recreation, regeneration. All of these words are describing what happens to the sinner when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of them. That means Abitad is not perfect. I am a sinner. But I am not who I once was. I'm changed. I'm reborn. I'm born again. I'm regenerated. I'm recreated. I think sometimes in the church we think that that sounds cocky or arrogant. It's not cocky at all. If if, if God wants us to brag on one thing, it is brag about my work in you. Jesus said in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. Jesus is like, do you think I'd go to the cross for your sin and then just leave you by yourselves? The work of the Son frees us from the condemnation of the law and the work of the Spirit changes us and adopts us into the family of God so that we can be changed and be brought into the fold. I told you all last week, before I'm a pastor, before I'm a teacher, before I'm a shepherd, I'm a sheep. So you will know a child of God by their obedience because the sheep love the shepherd. Verses 22 through 24 Judas, not Iscariot. I feel sorry for that Judas. It's like John felt it was like incumbent. I just got better put the parentheses in there. Hold on. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, 
but the fathers who sent me. You know, as I read Judas's question there, I thought to myself, Judas's question is in some ways like Philip's question last week. Last week, Philip wanted the father and didn't understand that the son had come in his place. This week, Judas wants Jesus and doesn't understand the Spirit is going to come in his place. Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. So the reason the world does not obey Jesus is because the world doesn't love Jesus. I want a quick word here to my parents and my grandparents. That means our job as parents and grandparents are not just simply to make obedient kids. My job is to disciple my children so that they love Jesus and have an affection for Jesus. And I'm going to tell you right now, Scripture says, if that happens, the obedience will come. That means Bible time is as important as chore time. I wanted to share something with you all as your pastor about how I do my job. At the, as the pastor of Haynes Creek, I love my church. I love y'all. I love people. I love each and every one of you. I love hanging out on that deck and like greeting people. That's one of my favorite parts. Except for today because it was really cold. I love people. I always have. I love interacting. I love helping. I love being sincere. If you don't like people, why are you at the church? But my love for the ministry doesn't begin with you. My love for this church doesn't begin with the body. It begins with the head. I can love you because I love Jesus. I serve you because I love Jesus. Because I love the head, I love His body. If my ministry was predicated just on my love for you, there would be weeks where I'd be a really bad pastor because there are weeks when I just don't like people very much. But my love for Jesus fuels my love for the church. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Not, if you love the church, you will keep my commandments. This is why theology is so important. If God desires us to be obedient, if God is telling us that obedience is predicated on love for Him, then I could think of nothing to do more valuable with our time than spending time in God's Word. Ultimately, theology is one of the most practical things we could do, spending time learning about God. I think in this passage, Jesus is speaking to two different kinds of Christians. To the lazy, intellectual Christian who would rather read books than love people, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And to the busybody Christian who would rather serve people than read God's word, Jesus says, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. I want you all to meditate on this this morning, these two things. Those who do not love and serve others do not know God as well as they think they do. And those who do not seek after God in His Word are not serving Him as well as they think they are. Now, as I read this, I thought, how exactly does the Spirit comfort us? If we call the Spirit the Comforter, how is He comforting us? Well, I think He answers that in verses 25 through 27. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, 
neither let them be afraid. So Jesus says, my helper is the one who recalls my teachings to you. So the Spirit's job is to comfort us with the gospel. The Spirit comforts us with the unconditional love of Jesus in the gospel. I'm going to come back to my kids for some reason this morning. Right now, we're going through a phase right now where they will get hurt. One of them will hit the other or they'll fall. And then they'll want me to kiss it, kiss the boo-boo. Um, and so I'll go over and they'll just be wailing and screaming and crying. And then I'll kiss the boo-boo and they'll stop crying. And, you know, that sounds really comical to us because they honestly think that I have cured their boo-boo. They thought that. Like they, 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 Roman fell off the couch or something and started, you know, it looked like a kid practically broke his neck. So I went over there, you know, kissed his arm, stopped, went about his business. And I was just kind of, he was running off and I went, what is it inside of the child psychology that thinks that I have the power to heal him with my lips? And I think it's very simple. Romans' faith and his trust and his love for me is stronger than his pain. See, Roman loves his toys. But when Roman gets hurt, he doesn't go after the toys. He wants me. Roman and Ruby are comforted by daddy's love and it's that very same love that gives them the joy to obey me that's exactly how it is in the Christian life we must be reminded daily of God's love for us in the gospel and that's the spirit's job if you're not finding your comfort in that if you're not finding your comfort in scripture and the promises of God, then you're not finding comfort in the things of God. My wife, Kelly, was, uh, I think, I think y'all got the newsletter. My wife, Kelly, was diagnosed with a with cancerous tumor on the back of her leg. and She's having surgery tomorrow morning. We would appreciate your prayers. And the doctor told us that they're going to have to remove a big chunk of muscle out of her leg. And... You know, I just don't like to hear that, obviously. Um, it was very scary. He was using just a lot of terms. We don't know what treatment will be like. Um, you know, you hate to see anyone have surgery, much less your wife. And he was using all these... <laughs> His bedside manner was okay, but I was telling Robert Washington, man, sometimes a good doctor just knows how to put all those really scientific, scary medical words and talk to a, another person. And so he got done saying all this stuff, and I was just really just, just, it wasn't a good day. And in, when we were walking back to the car, I started looking for comfort. Because my wife's looking for me to come for her. So I'm going through my mind, I'm going, okay, what, what, can, what can comfort me? Um, it's not aggressive, that's a good, good thing. Kelly's health is good for the most part, that comforts me. Uh... We, I think we got people to look after the kids. The surgery will be fine. We're, we're, we're at a good place. It's Emory. That comforts me. I think they know what they're doing. 
We're financially secure for the most part. I mean, all those things all just on the way back to the car. But in all of those things that come through my mind, if I don't come back to God's love and provision for our souls, on my way back to the car, if I'm not at least considering the fact that if God would send His Son to hang on a tree, He would not leave us as orphans, if that doesn't factor in in some way to comfort me when I hear that my wife has cancer, then I'm not finding my, things, my, my comfort in world or, or, or heavenly things. Every, every bone in my fleshly body wants to find comfort in health and wealth and security and doctors. But my comfort cannot come from Emory University. And in those moments, the Spirit recalls the promises of God. I'm a child of God. I've been adopted My wife and I have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. He has not left us on our own. We are loved. Those are the moments when the Spirit is our comforter. And I was reminded of that this week. Because I can't find comfort in anything else. The Spirit helps us by giving us the power to remember and obey Christ's commands. And the Spirit comforts us by reminding us of the promises of God in Christ Jesus. You know, the neatest thing about this passage, in my opinion, is what he says about peace. Did you catch that? It's not just peace, it's whose peace? My peace. Jesus died so that he could give us his peace. This is Trinitarian peace. This isn't just peace on earth and goodwill toward men. This is the very peace that God the Father and the Spirit have of themselves. And Jesus wants to give it to us. Do we have that peace this morning? Because I'm going to tell you all this. The surgery is tomorrow. But I think God wants me to have the peace now. Jesus says the ruler of this world has no claim on me. That means if you're found in Christ today, your health has no claim on you, your job has no claim on you, your problems have no claim on you, your past has no claim on you, the enemy has no claim on you, your sin has no claim on you. If you are in Christ, Jesus has claimed you. And the Father sent His Son, and the Son sent His Spirit. So that you could know that. Are we comforted by our house and our finances and our comfort and our security and our wealth? Are we comforted by the fact that we have health? Are we comforted by the fact that we have things around us that make us feel as if we're secure? Or are we comforted by the fact that Jesus Christ has sent his helper and said, I have you? Nothing else will give you peace. And I was reminded of that this week. And so I wanted to end this morning, one, to tell you that uh, I wanted to confess as, as your pastor that, man, in my sin, I often find comfort and peace in the wrong things. And I would imagine you struggle with the same thing. 
But the Spirit's sole primary purpose is to exalt the Son in the work of the Son. And so that means that I think the Spirit's supreme desire in your life is to believe in the gospel, meditate on the gospel, and to find comfort in the gospel. That's the Spirit-filled life. And that's the Spirit of Christmas. Do you believe in that? Let's pray. Father, we are but helpless children. And you've told us that we are prone to idolatry. We're prone to wander. We're prone for fear. And that's why you sent your helper. That's why you sent the comforter. To give us your peace because nothing else would do. Father, I pray that you would comfort Haynes Creek and the people here in this community, that you would send your spirit and that this community would experience revival. And we would know that the spirit isn't here so that we can just speak in tongues and get warm, tingly feelings. And the spirit is here to exalt the work of the Son. And Father, that is your desire for your church, to worship Jesus. May we do so by your power. And all these things we ask in your precious Son's name. Amen.